Well, too, let's stand tonight for just a couple quick verses. Acts chapter 13, we'll begin right there in verse number one. The message tonight is a message about reaching the world. I hope that you understand that this is our responsibility God's given to us, and I hope you'll see that tonight in this passage. Beginning in verse number one, we'll read down to verse number four. The Bible says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas, and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth, by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus, and when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. And so there's a lot going on here tonight, so let's have a word of prayer. We'll uh, let you be seated, and we'll get started tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege that's ours to be a part of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd help us to see this biblical model that we can follow in the Word of God, the church in Antioch. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. As you think about the, this passage that we just read, just prior to this, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had come to this earth, lived about 33 and a half years, about three and a half of that 33 and a half years, was spent in what we call the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the truth is, many times people talk about the short life Jesus lived on this earth, but the reality is he never came to stay. He came to give his life a ransom that we might have eternal life. And while Jesus was here, he established, we've been talking about this, he established the church. And then when Jesus had established that church, which honestly, it is we who carry on that same body of believers, understand there was a big, huge, momentous task that was given to us as the church of the living God. Uh, when you study the scriptures, you find, what does the Bible say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, just so you, maybe you haven't looked it up, I looked and Googled, I'm good at Googling, and it says here, as of August 2018, there are 7.6 billion people in this world today. 7.6 billion people. And so when Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, that includes everyone. Uh, in our minds and in our hearts, we ought to have that same attitude and spirit is that we're here because the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Well, what is his promise? He said that he is not willing that any should perish. Remember the story this morning about Ed Spencer. If he could have kept going out and kept going out and kept going out, I have to believe Ed Spencer would have done that. But the reality is you and I can't go to everyone. God has a plan for us to reach the world, and it all stems and really hinges on a verse that we've used so many times, for God so loved the world. 
God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It means that much to the Lord that the world would know him as Savior. And we need to share that love, God's love. God expects you and me to carry his love to an entire world, all 7.6 billion of them. We many times use the word commission, great commission. That's what we're talking about tonight is a part of that, to go and to see people reach with the gospel. Jesus said in John 20, notice there in your notes, he said to them again, this wasn't the first time, but he says, peace be unto you as my father hath sent me. Even so, send I you. That sounds to me like he wants us to do the same thing that he came here to do himself. Now, he came to be the ultimate sacrifice. We can't save people, but we can bring people to the one that can save them. Jesus said, just like God sent me, my Father sent me. Now, how is it even possible? With so many people, so many lost people, is there some kind of strategy to reaching this world. And I tell you tonight that there is a plan. God has a plan for worldwide evangelization. And this is what we see tonight. Now, the amazing thing about it is it was long before any technology. You see, God's plan goes way back when God gave his word. And that's why we're studying the Bible tonight. I'm not downplaying. I've, I've come to understand some of the good things when it comes to technology, there can be some good things that come out of it. But can I tell you, we never need to stray from the Word of God because God gives us the plan that He would have for us as a church. Now, where do we find that plan? Well, we just read in Acts 13 how the church in Antioch... Now, remember, the original church was the church in Jerusalem. And it was from Jerusalem that the gospel began to go out into the outlying areas away from the city of Jerusalem and, and understand that one of those places was Antioch. We just read that in our passage tonight and it was Antioch that sent out the first foreign missionaries. Now a long time ago I used to think uh, falsely but I used to think that missionaries only go to foreign countries. They have to cross some body of water but understand, we could have a missionary right here in America that could cross a border into Canada, and they're a missionary. We could have a missionary that goes to Utah, and we do have a missionary in Utah. And that's his field. That's, he, he is a foreign missionary. Can I tell you, many times in churches I've seen as I've been in them, you walk out the foyer, and as you're going out the door, there's a sign many times over the door that says, you are now entering the mission field. Anywhere we go with the gospel, we are a missionary. We are telling people about the love of God. And this church in Antioch, it provides a biblical pattern. Hey, look, I like it when there's patterns. My wife, when, we, when the girls were little, now if, if she did this at their ages now, my daughters would have a fit with this, but my wife would buy material. She'd buy a pattern, and she would lay that out, and she would cut out that material, and she'd sew those together, and we dressed all of our kids alike, and everybody said, aren't they cute? And now our daughters, when they look at any of those pictures, they're like, man, I hated that. You know, I think just for good old times, we ought to do it again. We ought to just have my wife make something for them. It's kind of funny. Sometimes we get together for family pictures and uh, they, they pick what they want everybody to wear. Now, we're not wearing the same outfits, 
but we're kind of in that same color scheme, and, and it, it's kind of funny. I, I just look at it, I remember those days where they were all blonde head. They were like little stair steps. They were all wearing, there was, because it all came from a pattern. I like it when we've got something to follow. Uh, look, a lot, of, a lot of churches, it's like they don't know what they're going to do next week. You know why? Because they're not following God's pattern. They're just trying to figure out what they're going to do. They're doing things on the fly. And God's given us this pattern, and it's important that we follow this model church, the church in Antioch, because here we find in Acts 13, the first missionaries were actually commissioned, and they were sent out to do the work of God. So tonight, let's learn how every one of us, you and me, can be a part. Now, some of you, if you're like me, you've probably already been a part of worldwide evangelization for quite some time. But I understand as a pastor, because different backgrounds, people are saved later in life, that not everybody fully understands, and not everybody's a part of it. And can I tell you, we are entering into a season of our missions conference. I think it's one of the sweetest and, and most special times of our church throughout the year is our missions conference. Now, I always find it interesting how God begins to just kind of gel the thing together. And, I, and, and every year we usually end up having a couple different missionaries. It's kind of interesting how it all came together. I'll share a little bit more in the days ahead. But we've actually got missionaries that are going to be here right before the conference. We've got a few during the conference. And we've got a few after the conference. Some of those are missionaries we already support. Some of those are brand new missionaries. You say, Pastor, are we going to take them all on? I don't know. That's, that's the Lord's business. And it's up to us to be willing to get behind those folks. But it's going to take something for us to be able to take them on. We'll talk about that tonight. But let's learn about missions and reaching the world. Notice, first of all, the context of missions. You ever buy a book or want to buy a book and you, you look inside the cover and you're looking for the table of contents because you want to know what's in the book, what the book is about. And a lot of times people don't really understand missions and why we do things a certain way. Now that's why I love being a Bible-believing Christian is because we just follow the pattern that God gives us in His Word because the Bible is our authority for all of our faith and practice. So when we look at it tonight, and you say, Pastor, what did you study? Did you study some uh, great books that you found, maybe some guys that earned their doctorates? No, I studied the Word of God to prepare for this message tonight, because that's what we want, because we want God's blessing. You see, missions, if we want to call it that, is not the idea of some denominational headquarters. It's not the idea of some group of people. Understand that this is God's design, that that real churches would take the gospel message and they would go out into the world with that message. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Notice, first of all, the context that we're looking at is a local church. Look at verse 1 again of chapter 13. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch. So we're talking about here a body of believers that had been gloriously saved, and that's our context. Now, the interesting thing about these people, the reason why it's in Antioch is because these folks, these believers in Christ, they had been scattered from Jerusalem upon the persecution of one of God's choice servants whose name was Stephen. Let me recall your memory here. Look at Acts 11 in your notes there. The Bible says, now they which were scattered abroad, the, the Bible uses the word 
scattering abroad, it's, it's, uh, there's a term, the diaspora, the, 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 the scattering out of God's people. And I love the fact that as they left Jerusalem, they didn't run and hide in caves and, and, and run to a holiday inn. They went into the cities where they could take the me- glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they had something good. Look, I'm going to tell you, because God was in it, something good can come out of something bad. And that's what we see here. Look what it says. They were scattered upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. And look at this. They traveled as far as Phoenice, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word. Now look at this phrase. To none but the Jews only. Now, again, the the book of Acts, I, I won't get into this at this time. I've talked about it before. The book of Acts is a transitional book. You have to understand that God is a God of order and that the Bible says to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, that God's plan was to reach the people of Israel and that because of their unbelief, the gospel went forth to the Gentile nations. Who does God want to be saved today? Everyone, Jew and Gentile. What is the church today comprised of? Everyone, Jew and Gentile. Uh, all can come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Look, everyone can come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Bible Baptist Church, as long as I'm the pastor here, will never turn someone away at this church. All are welcome. Because Jesus welcomed everyone. We looked at this morning. He sat with Simon the leper. Jesus loved everyone. He was criticized because he, he was a friend of publicans and sinners. And aren't you glad because I fit one of those categories. And so here's the thing is we look at this church and something was happening. They were no longer in Jerusalem, but guess what? They were growing. There was something going on. Now, something happened while the church in in Antioch was growing, something that was not expected. And that is the Bible states that Christians in Jerusalem, they weren't expecting this, that not only were Jews trusting Christ, but Gentiles were being saved. Now, because of this, I mean, we all know the history between the Jewish folks and Gentiles. The Bible uses the word dogs. There was a lot of animosity between them, and you can go back to the Old Testament and find out a lot of that. But I'll tell you one thing there was, there was a lot of prejudice. The Jews were having a hard time accepting this news that, yes, Jews were being saved in Antioch, but some of these Gentiles, were also being saved. So the church in Jerusalem decided, well, we're going to check into this. So the Bible records that they sent a man by the name of Barnabas. Now, if you know anything, Acts 4, Acts 3, going into Acts 4, Barnabas is the one that God used instrumentally in Saul's life when Saul became Paul. But most people, because he was vehement against the church, he was killing Christians, that when Saul got saved on the road to Damascus, that nobody wanted anything to do with him. But Barnabas was the guy that said, hey, hey, it's okay, he's with us now. He's on the winning side. Barnabas is known as the son of consolation. He was a comforter. Aren't you glad? I hope in your life, listen, I hope that you have someone in your life that encourages you. One of the guys that has been one of the most uh, used Barnabases in my life is the man that's going to come for our couples retreat this year and will be preaching on the Sunday right after the couples retreat. I'm so excited for you to get to meet him, get to hear him. 
I texted him today. I was watching live stream while I was here this afternoon, and I was watching the services back in Lancaster. My pastor was preaching, and I was listening to him as he was preaching, and I, I saw uh, Pastor Glenn Wiggins on the front row in the service. Brother Glenn was there. He was taking his daughter to uh, West Coast Baptist College. She's getting ready to start the semester, and so they're there this weekend. I texted Brother Wiggins, and, and he was in church, and he texted me back. Can you believe that? And I took a picture of him off of my computer, and I said, hey, who is this guy? And he texted me back, LOL. You know? and, and so I texted this man I'm talking about, Dr. Mark Rasmussen, who's been a friend and encouragement to me for so many years. And I said, hey, listen, Glenn Wiggins, Pastor Glenn Wiggins, is on the, on the fourth row, sitting right in front of the pulpit during the 11 o'clock service. Now, this was like uh, 20 minutes after the service started. And Dr. Rasmussen texted me right back, and he said, I took him to dinner Friday night, and I had him in my home last night. That's an encourager. There's some other circumstances I won't share with you why Glenn Wiggins is there and taking his daughter there. She's a transfer student. But folks, I'm going to tell you, all of us need somebody like this in our lives. And so what the church in Jerusalem, they thought, hey, look, who do we have that we can send over to Antioch? To find out if what they are saying is really true. And somebody says, hey, look, I can't think of somebody better than Barnabas. And look what it says here in Acts eleven twenty two. 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. They didn't have text messaging. Somehow word got back. Maybe Barnabas sent somebody back. And the Bible says they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came... And had seen the grace of God. You ever seen that? I see it all the time when people get saved. The grace of God. Barnabas went there. He not only was there, but he saw God's working in people's lives. He saw the change in people's lives, how they were gloriously saved. And listen, you know what the Bible says? That he was glad. He exhorted them all with that, that with purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. He says, look, now that you are saved, he says, do everything you can to establish and develop that new relationship you have with Jesus Christ. And so Barnabas, look, he was rejoicing that people were getting saved. You know, to Barnabas, it didn't matter if it was Jew or Gentile. He was just glad to see people getting saved. Folks, I'm going to tell you, we ought to rejoice every time somebody puts their faith in Christ. It doesn't matter who they are, what their nationality, what their background this was a local church that God was using, that God was uh, dealing with in the area of missions, that they went out with the gospel and they went as far as any. But not only was it a local church, but it was a loving church. See, throughout the book of Acts, here's what you find is, is that the presence of the Holy Spirit many times was very evident. And we know that because we see people and how much they love the Lord and how much they love each other. Remember what Jesus said? He says, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that you have love one for another. Brothers and sisters in Christ loving each other. I love our church because that kind of spirit is here. The Bible describes it in Acts 2.46, they continuing daily with one accord, in the temple and breaking, from, uh, breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat, notice these words, with gladness and 
notice, singleness of heart. Now, if you go back and look, look at verse number one again. Look what it says here. Maybe you saw it, but it says they were in there, teachers and prophets. And the Bible says Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And then look at the last one is who? Saul, who became who? Paul. Now, if you study it out, I won't take the time tonight. These five guys had such diverse backgrounds. I mean, you know, I began to kind of research out a little bit, and I saw the diversity that, that was there, the different nationalities. But you know what was common with them? Their love for the Lord. They all had that common bond. And we see that the cultural and social differences were there among some of the leaders, some of the teachers, some of those that prophesied the Word of God. Some of these men had aristocratic backgrounds. Some of them had been slaves. Some of them were educated. Some of them were not. Among these individuals, there were Jews, there were Romans, there were Greeks, there were Africans. Certainly, they came from various backgrounds, but they were bound together by their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A lady and her mom stopped by here the other day, and I talked to them for a little while outside. And they were asking me about our church. I don't know if she'll be, come back. I don't know if she'll come for a service or not. But I told her, I said, listen, our church is one of the sweetest churches. But I said, I'm going to tell you something. I believe it's just a little picture of what heaven's going to be like someday. We've got folks from all over the place, and there's a love for God, and there's a faith in Christ. You see, the world couldn't help in, in this day, and it needs to see the same in our day. They couldn't help but see that these people, that they were like Christ, that they were getting along, that they were in one accord. They had singleness of heart, and that's why the Bible records that they were called Christians first in what city? Antioch. It was this place. That the Bible records, now remember, the world tagged that on them. They were called Christians. You know why? Because they were so much like Jesus. What a great testimony that people would think that of us. And look, a church without the love of Christ for each other and for the lost will never experience true missions the way God has intended. We've got to have a love for the lost. We've got to have a love for this world that we live in. We need to love people through the eyes of Jesus. Real missions take place when Christians have enlarged their hearts, when they see the need that people have in their lives, and they look beyond their own personal needs. And that's many times that's the boundary. They, they look beyond those prejudices that maybe those even in the church at Jerusalem had. They look beyond those prejudices. And they care for people, guess what, people that might not be like them, but they're people without the Lord. Aren't you glad somebody came to you with the gospel? You know, I, I'm going to tell you something. There's not a day goes by where I'm not grateful and glad for the Lord saving my life and giving me a new life in Christ. I find here the context. Folks, it doesn't, you study the Word of God, and look, there's a lot of good organizations out there, Christian organizations. Don't get me wrong, but God's intent to reach the world is through the local church. And, and that's why when it comes to missionaries, when, when missionaries call me, when missionaries send me stuff in the mail, when they come here, and by the way, most of the time, by the time they come here, I've already done this. You know what I want to know is, who's your sending church? 
Because I believe that missions activity should be done through a local church. Why? Because we see the model right here in Acts, in Acts chapter number 13 with the church in Antioch. So we see the context of missions, but secondly, we see the calling of missions. Now, this morning in Sunday school, we talked about the calling on Peter's life, but here we're talking about missionary activity. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, as they, those that were named in verse number one, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, I don't know if you've ever really studied this much, but can I tell you again, missions activity is something that should take place through local churches that are practicing the love of God. But it's interesting when you think about missionaries being called. The Bible says they were in the church, they were ministering to the Lord, and they were praying and fasting, and the Holy Ghost said, separate in other words, the Holy Ghost said, this is who I want. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas were two of those that were prophets and teachers. They were two of the best in that church. I mentioned it, I think today or maybe last week, about we should always be willing to give God our best. Now it's interesting because the word here, separate me. I, I, I wish, again, I had more time tonight. But if you study this matter of separation, and I'll just try to keep it as simple as I can tonight. If you want to talk with me sometime, I'd be happy to sit down with you. Maybe you've spent some time. But there is a standard of biblical separation. According to the Word of God, there is what's known as ecclesiastical separation, that is, dealing with the church. Uh, sometimes people ask, why aren't we a part of the, the World Council of Churches? Why aren't we a part of why aren't we a part of the Southern Baptist Convention and various things like that? Listen, the head of the church is Jesus Christ. This is His church. We, we're not affiliated. That doesn't mean we want to be a lone ranger, but the Bible clearly tells us that we are to give our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's known as ecclesiastical. That's a little short version of that, but maybe sometime I might bring a message just on ecclesiastical separation. Because sometimes people wonder why we don't affiliate with some of these other organizations. We're not saying they're bad. We're just saying we, we only want to yoke up with those whose churches line up with the Word of God. Okay, It's not that we are right and everybody's wrong. It's that the Word of God is right and we want to follow God's Word. Are you with me tonight? So there's this matter of ecclesiastical separation, but then there's also this matter of personal separation. What kind of life should we live? A holy life, a godly life. This isn't oftentimes talked about and preached in churches because if you start talking about living a holy life, a godly life, it makes people very uneasy because most people don't want to live, most Christians don't want to live those kinds of lives. But yet the Bible says, wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. So when you think about it, there is a standard of separation. Now, guess what word is equated with the word separate me? It's the word sanctify. It means to set apart. See, 
in the church, God had put some, some wonderful, godly, wise men that were teaching, that were exhorting, that were encouraging people from the Word of God. And God says, look, I've got a work that, that I, I, I've been preparing people even ahead of time. And so I, I want to take uh, Barnabas and Saul from Antioch and I want to send them to this place. You understand what I'm saying tonight? See, a lot of times people think that these people that go to the mission field, they've got some kind of Ouija board. By the way, that's of the devil. But, you know, folks, listen, it's not like they draw straws. The Holy Ghost separates them. The Holy Ghost says, I've got a work for you to do, and here's the work that I want you to do. And so we need to see tonight, when you think about this matter of the calling, notice God calls in a sanctified time. They were ministering to the Lord, and the Holy Spirit separated these two men while this was going on in the church. The church wasn't going through the motions. They were genuine in the way they were ministering to the Lord. They were praying. They were fasting. They were preaching the Word of God. They were loving people. They were giving. They were leading people to Christ. I mean, folks, they were doing it all unto the Lord. And a lot of churches today, listen, the reason we're not seeing people separated by the Holy Spirit of God is because people come to church and they have this attitude, what's in it for me? Instead of, what does God want me to do? What would God have me to do? And when our worship and our service revolves around our own personal gratification and our own enjoyment, we're missing the joy of ministering to the Lord. Uh, there's a lot of these young churches, and again, I didn't come tonight to bash them, but they, I see sometimes on social media where, it just I'll be honest with you, it looks like a rock concert. There's lights flashing, there's loud music, there's people, we had a man today that came and he says, look, I'm a Baptist, I've been raised in Baptist churches, he said, I know Christ is my Savior, he talked to Rogan outside, and he says, honestly, I was going to another church, some of you have the same testimony, he said, I couldn't stand it any longer because of the loud music, and honestly, he said, I wasn't getting much out of it. Folks, I believe that as we come to church, we come to worship God, and we come to minister unto the Lord. And that's what the church was doing. They weren't there for their own self-gratification. And as they were ministering to the Lord, God called two men. But what's interesting here is that it wasn't just the two men that were really sanctified or set apart. It was the entire congregation. It was every last one of them. You know why? Because according to the word of God, they were all believer priests. Look what Peter writes here. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. Notice, an holy priesthood. This is one of the things we believe as Bible-believing Christians. As Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of the believers. That, that Look, does not the Bible say that we can come boldly before the throne of God? That we can find grace in the time of need, right? I don't have to go to some priest in a telephone booth and ask him to intercede on my behalf to God. I can go straight to God, and you can too. Aren't you glad? Because, listen, if I tell some priest, I don't know if it's ever going to get there. But if I go to Jesus, the intercessor for us, I know that he will go to the Father for me. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Many times people want to go to Mary and they want to pray to Mary. Mary can't get your prayers to God, but Jesus can. And see, we see tonight 
that the church was a, made up. They were comprised. Look, I'm going to tell you something. God might have chose Paul and Barnabas, but every last one of them were ministering unto the Lord. And I love the fact that God calls those who are already dedicated to them, to him. He calls those that are already serving him to do his work. So it was in a sanctified time. But notice, secondly, God calls in a sacrificial time because the church was, they were fervent the way they were worshiping God. And the Holy Spirit called out. And you know what they had to do? Listen, they had to sacrifice two of their best. God says, I want this one and I want this one. Charles Spurgeon said, if there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor as a white heat, it is concerning missions. Are you listening to me tonight? I, look, I know we've got a wall with 59 missionaries. But can I tell you, in God's eyes, that's never enough. When our hearts wane and our, our, our vision starts to dim about reaching the world, we're in trouble. The Bible says here that we need to understand how sacrificial. Spurgeon went on to say, if there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it's in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. Antioch sacrificed these men. Look, it was in a time when they were praying, they were fasting, they were ministering unto the Lord, but the fasting that they were doing, I don't know if you've ever fasted, and it's something between you and God, but I'll tell you what it does. It indicates a heart that is yearning for God's will, that wants answers from God more so than even physical food. God, listen, I need to get this through to heaven. I need this answered. And so Christ calls every one of us, you and me both, to sacrifice for him. Look what he said in Matthew 10. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Do you get it tonight? The Christian life is about sacrificing, but it's for the Lord. Look, if, you, if your mind tonight is, but I, I just don't want to give that up. Listen, I don't give anything up. The Lord gave it all so that I could have the life that I have. And I want to follow him. And it does, look, there is nothing, there is nothing too high that if the Lord asked it of me, that I should be glad to give it to the Lord. This was a sacrificial time. And look, whether we are called to go, and some are, or whether we're called to send, and some do, we should be willing to sacrifice in prayer. We should be willing to fast. And we also should be willing to give, to be a part of it. Look, I'm not after your money tonight, so you can hang on to your wallets and you can hang on to your checkbooks and don't worry about your bank accounts. God's not after your money. God's after your obedience is what God's after. God wants to know that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, there are, there are people today that if we don't care, they will spend all of eternity in a Christless hell. And it's up to us to reach them. William Carey, and most of us know the name, he was the father of what they call modern missions. Many years ago, William Carey won many in India for Christ for 42 years. While William Carey was there, many people considered him to be very successful in missionary activity. 
One day somebody was interviewing William Carey and they said, what's the secret, William, to all the success that God has given you, all the souls that have been led to Christ? If you could say one thing, William, what would it be? I'd never heard this before, and I've, I've read many things about William Carey. William Carey said the one thing is he said, I have a sister who was crippled at birth, and she couldn't go to the field, but she prayed for me the entire time I went. And he said, I believe that she made all the difference. See, God was calling missionaries in a sanctified time, in a sacrificial time. Notice God also calls in a speaking time. The Bible says, going back to our passage, whereunto I have called them. Notice it's God's calling. These men were sent, and what men say may be open for debate, but when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we should give ourselves no option but to obey. That's the only option we have. And when we look at this passage, God didn't call prayerless men. God called praying men. God didn't call idle men. God called serving men. God didn't call fleshly men. God called spiritual men. We should ask ourselves, listen, ask yourself tonight, am I in the position where God will speak to me about missions? Now, it may not be to call you to go, but it may be to have you be a part of sending someone supporting someone, being like Carrie's sister and praying for someone. You see, missions isn't a sideline of the church. It's the front line of the commission. It's the heartbeat of God is to do what? Carry the gospel message to a lost and dying world. The question tonight simply is this, folks. Do we care? Do we care? See, I see the context is the local church. I see the calling of missionaries. It was during a time that they were sanctified unto the Lord. They were ministering to the Lord. They were, they were willing to sacrifice. God called unto them. But then notice thirdly tonight, the commencement of missionaries. For 12 years, I was a part of a Bible college. Every fall, every spring, we would have the college graduation. I uh, always enjoyed it, but it, b the truth is, is that it was kind of a bittersweet time. Because for four years, now some, it might have been five or six, seven or eight, but you kind of get attached to these young men and women, they become part of your life. You've, you've been there with them, you've cried with them, you've prayed with them. You've coached them in sports. You've been in their dorms, at least the guys. You become a part of their life. And we always called it graduation. But my pastor, when they started the Bible college, they always, when it comes to graduation time, they call it the commencement. Because graduation means that it's over. Commencement means it's just the beginning. And they always do something that always, I always found to be odd the first couple times I heard it. Some of you may remember this, but in the past, our nation's history, when we would have times of war, and they would send their loved ones, 
husbands, fathers, brothers, sons, daughters. They would send them out into harm's way. That's exactly what a missionary does. We're not sending them on vacation. I spent a, a couple days this past week, and I know she didn't mean nothing by it, but I had, there were some people talking. I wasn't around here for a couple days because I was taking a couple days to get along with the Lord and, and just ask the Lord about direction for our new year. You said, Pastor, it's August. I know. But it'll be 2019 before you know it. And I don't like to be away, but I feel like it's what the Lord would have me to do is, as the under-shepherd, God would give me direction. I want to have God's vision for our church. And one of the ladies said this morning, well, pastor was on vacation. It was nothing of a vacation. Matter of fact, anything that could have went wrong. You know why? Because the devil doesn't want spiritual direction and vision for our church. He doesn't want to see our church go forward. You have to understand that when these missionaries, as excited as they are to go to Japan, to go to Mongolia, to go to the Philippines, wherever it may be, it's not to go take a vacation. They are going down into the pit to reach people that are perishing. And that is why we need to get behind them. You see, first of all, missions work, it begins with prayer. The Bible gives a phrase here in verse 3, they laid their hands on them. Now, again, don't make it something that it's not. Here's what it means. It means that they, this was a sign of recognizing the fact that God had placed a call on their lives. The Holy Spirit of God separated them. Uh, we, we had an ordination for Brother Kenny, and we had a time where we laid hands on him. It wasn't, look, there's nothing hocus pocus there. It wasn't that any of us had any kind of special blessing. We didn't give Brother Kenny a special blessing or a second blessing. It was that we recognized the call of God on his life. I had the same thing in my life. It's a special time. The Bible says here that missions work begins with prayer. They were getting ready, listen, to send off two of their finest. But notice, secondly, the mission's work is carried out not only with prayer, but with participation. If you go back again in verse number three, look at the word there, they. The Bible says they. Being brought on their way, they, they, by the church, they passed through. They caused great joy unto all the brethren. The word they is a special word here because it means that they were all together with this decision. They understood it was of the Lord. They were behind these individuals. It wasn't just the missionaries here that were being sensitive to God's call on their lives. It was the entire church. Look, it's hard sometimes giving your best. No one wants to see the deacons leave. But we understand that God moves people sometimes. You know, if God were to call somebody out of our church, I remember whenever I try to tell my pastor that, that the Lord was calling me to the mission field of South Florida. My pastor said, Brother Keeley, you're being used here. He didn't want me to go. Now, the truth was he wanted my wife to stay. He didn't care about me. But nonetheless, no, I'm just kidding. 
But the truth is, is that missions work, it needs participation. Christ has given the authority to the church, the local church, to support missionaries, to send them out by giving towards them. Paul often requested the prayers of God's people. Look at Romans 15 there and you know, it's now I beseech you, Paul wrote, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me, how? In your prayers to God for me. Paul says, look, I know that maybe many of you can't give, but at least one thing you can do for me is you can pray for me. You can, you can hold me up in prayer. Uh, Paul wrote to those in Thessalonica, said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. Before William Carey left for the field, the mission field, he had a time to meet with some of the pastors. There was a group of pastors. These were pastors of churches that said, Brother Kerry, we'll support you when you go to the mission field there in India. We'll be behind you. We're going to support you financially. We're going to pray for you. And, and William Carey had a chance to meet with those pastors, and, and he, he began to talk to them about some things, and they, they told him that they would pray. And Kerry says, listen, he says, I will go down, but remember that you must hold the ropes. He was willing to go. See, not everybody will pack their bags. I, I, I'm reminded some of you are old enough to, you know the accounts, maybe you've heard them, but a lot of the old missionaries, when they would go to the mission field, they would pack their belongings, they would say goodbye to their families, and they would actually take a coffin with them to the mission field. It's amazing the sacrifices that they made. Now, I'm not against missionaries today. If they get an opportunity to come back, praise the Lord. We've had some of our own missionaries come back. But see, our prayers, what Kerry was saying, our prayers are like holding the ropes for them. That's why we need to pray for missionaries. And we can participate not just in our giving, but also in our praying. See, in God's economy, missions, giving, folks, it's beneficial, not only to the missionary, but to those that participate to our church, to you specifically, who support the work of God. Look at Philippians 4. Not because I desire a gift, Paul says, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul says, listen, it's been wonderful that you have partnered together with me, that you've prayed for me, that you've supported me. And as we give to missions, guess what happens? Every soul that's reached with the gospel abounds to your account. It's going to be a wonderful thing someday when you get to heaven. I don't know how it'll all unfold, but I really believe that we're going to meet a lot of people that whether they or God say to us, thank you for giving. Because you gave, you might be thinking, well, I only gave $10, but you gave. He says, because you gave, I'm here today. See, that's, that's the fruit that we're going to have. We have the ability to reap eternal benefits from their labors. Isn't that awesome? That as they go, that we hold the ropes, but we are a part. That's why you need to know your missionaries. Pray for your missionaries. That's why I share the, 
the reports from our missionaries during our midweek services, it's important that we understand that we are connected to them, that we are a part of that work. Look, the work of God doesn't depend on the world's economy. The work of God depends on the Lord's resources, and God has chosen His church, our church, to finance the work of God. It's our privilege to participate. And Paul encouraged that as we give to the work of the Lord, guess what God's going to do? God's going to meet our needs. See, sometimes we think, well, I don't know. I've got this bill. I've got that bill. God says, look, I want you to give, but look at the promise in Philippians 4.19. You know it. But my God shall supply how much of your need? Yeah, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. See, folks, and giving to missions, you know what it is? It's an opportunity for you and for me to invest our lives and our money for all of eternity. We're actually just returning to the Lord what he has rightfully given to us, what's really his to begin with. And so when you think about missions, yes, it's a big task. It is something that if you look at it and you think, 7.6 billion people, who are we among so many? What could we do? And what happens is we get this fatalistic attitude, just like I talked about election and the primaries on Tuesday. A lot of times many Christians say, well, why vote? I'm just one person. Can you imagine if every Christian in America did that? But think about if that's our attitude as Christians when when it comes to giving to missions. Now, when you study the Bible, the, the Word of God gives us three things regarding missions that are must. And I want you to see this before we close tonight. Three responsibilities. Here's the first one. We must go. We must go. The Bible says in Mark 16, 15, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We must go. Secondly, we must send. We must go and we must send. Missionary Alexander McLaren pointed out one time, they that hold the ropes, the ropes that Carrie was talking about, and the daring miner that swings away down in the darkness are one in work, maybe one in the motive, and if they are, they shall be one in the reward. I think McLaren had it right, that if we're a part of it, God will bless us for being a part of that. You will receive spiritual fruit in your life, and so we must go, we must send, and then thirdly, look at this, we must expect God to bless our faith in Him. How many of you believe that God can? God's able, right? And we sing that song all the time, look at Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith. Got to have faith, folks. You want to please God? You got to have faith. But I just don't know. You don't know my bills. No, but God does. Just have faith. This is, this is so important, folks. Missions is Christ's directive. It's the direct commission he has given to the church. I love what William Carey said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Real missions, you know, they take place right in the context of a local church. How about Bible Baptist Church? And when we think about missions, look, we, just like that church in Antioch, What we have to do is we have to be sensitive to the call of God because God may just call some of us to go. God may call some of us to send, but God wants all of us to participate. Will you be a part of reaching this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads with me tonight as we think about this wonderful opportunity?
My wife and I, we've been a part of this worldwide evangelization. I think before we even got married, but I know at least from the time we got married 33 years ago. Can I tell you, I've never regretted one penny. I've never missed it. God has met our every need as we give. Maybe tonight, if you've been a part of this, maybe your prayer tonight should be, thank you, Lord, for letting me be a part of something that has eternal dividends. But listen, even if you've been a part of it, let's not settle. Let's not settle for what we've been doing for all these years. Some of you tonight may may not have been a part, or maybe here or there you give a little bit. Can I tell you, those missionaries, they don't go to the field, come back, go to the field, whatever we give, they come back and so on. They go to the field and stay. They need someone to hold the ropes the whole time they're there. And you can do that prayerfully and financially. And maybe tonight you would just say, Lord, I want to be a part of that. You have saved me, and I want to be a part of reaching others. I see the plan from this model church in Antioch. I know that's our church's heart. That's the spirit. I'm glad for that. But let's not lose that spirit. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to study the model, this church in Antioch, even the church in Jerusalem, the mighty church, struggled trying to understand if Gentiles really could be saved. Barnabas went and he saw the grace of God and he exhorted them. He was excited to see people saved. Every week when I look at missionary letters and I hear of the work that's being done and we get to be a part of that. Lord, there just might be someone that you're speaking to that you would call even from our our church, as small as it is, God, that you would send them out or that you want many more of us to be a part of sending others out through prayers, through financial support. I pray that you bless this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.